0: you are listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you'll make your way to the letter of Galatians. If you're a guest with us this morning, we have been making our way through this book of the Bible, the letter of Galatians, and today we arrive at the end. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18 is our text this morning. We have been going through this book for months now, and today we are at the last section of this letter. And I want to invite you, as I read out loud, for you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible with you and you need one on that back table, there are some Bibles not only are you welcome to borrow, you can have. But let's look together now at Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Church, This is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters, amen. The title of today's message is Lingering Last Words. The way in which the Apostle Paul closes out this letter to the church at Galatia, well, it is poignant, it is personal, and it is profound. I I do hope, as I was reading these final words of this letter, you felt the weight of these closing words. See, I think we can make a mistake when we come to the closing of letters like Galatians, we can make the same mistake here that we make at the beginning of the letter. We can read the greeting of the letter and the conclusion of the letter as mere formality. After all, they were letters. Therefore, they have to have a greeting. They have to have a conclusion. But we don't come with high hopes and must expectation to, to get you know, meat and to benefit much. We just see it as just formality. But friends, verses 11 and eight are the parting words of a concerned apostle. And he's written to a, a people that he has much concern for because this congregation has tough choices to make in the days ahead. They must choose from this point forward are we going to continue to believe this false gospel? Are we going to believe the gospel that the Apostle Paul delivered to us? Who are we going to listen to? These that have showed up in Galatia saying, yeah, some of the things that Paul said, they're not all true. He left some things out. Are we going to listen to the Apostle Paul who says, no, the cross and the message of the cross is sufficient. We don't add anything to it. Which, which are we going to choose? What are we going to do? You see, the final words of this letter, they're meant to linger with us. They're meant to linger as we close out this sermon series. They're meant to linger with us as we eventually move on to a new book of the Bible. And my prayer is that this study of the, of the letter of Galatians would linger with us. We wouldn't just end this study, say, okay, Galatians is done. What's the next book? But all that we have heard all the ways in which God has addressed us for months now through this letter, it would stay with us. So I want to look at this final word, these final words of this letter in three parts this morning. Here's our outline. In verses 11 and 18, we see Paul's closing words to the Galatians. And then in verses 12 through 13, the ongoing controversy in Galatia. And then in verses 14 through 17, the cross, and the message of the gospel. Let's begin by looking at verse 11 and verse 18. Paul's closing words to the Galatians. In these two verses, verse 11 and 18, we, we, we find the kind of a statement that, that appears elsewhere in Paul's letters. Paul wrote 13 Letters that are in the New Testament, Galatians being one of them, and if we compare Galatians with those letters, we, we find similar statements in those letters that we see here in verse 11 and 18. So, why is 11 and 18 the closing? What's going on between 12 and 17. It's almost as if Paul's closing out the letter with verse 11, then something happens, and then he brings it to a close in verse 18. Here's what's happening. Think of those verses 12 through 17 as a parenthesis. Paul's closing out, and one last time, he's got to do something. There is something on his heart he must address One last time. And what is that? He must address the controversy taking place among those in the church at Galatia. And he must encourage them to follow his instruction. And and why does he need to do this? If you recall, what, what was going on in Galatia in which Paul had to write this letter in the first place. Here's why. Because the recipients of this letter in Galatia, if you remember how serious the situation is they are in danger of falling away from grace if they continue to believe this other gospel that has been has kind of crept in to this community and into this church. And at the conclusion of this letter, we see that though there are similarities with other writings of Paul, there are some things that are also, missing. There's some unique things about the conclusion of this letter, just like we saw there were some unique things about the intro to this letter. For example, if you compare this letter with other of the letters of Paul, we notice there's no travel plans. There's no greeting to other believers. There's no call for prayer. There's no doxology. And most of the time, one or two or more of these components are present in the other letter's of Paul, But none of them are here in the final words in Galatia. What we do find are these intriguing words in verse 11. Where Paul says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. What does that mean? Why does Paul say that? Well, instead of signing his name at the end of a letter like we would, what the uh, the Apostle Paul did to authenticate this letter is he picked up the pen and he wrote with his own handwriting, which was obviously distinct from the rest of the letter. So if we would have had the original copy of this letter, you would notice from the beginning of the letter up until verse 11 a certain handwriting, probably a very clear Good penmanship, kind of handwriting. You get to eleven through eighteen, the conclusion, and Paul says, "You can tell I wrote this." All of a sudden, his handwriting is larger; it's distinct from the rest of the letter. And why did Paul do this? It was his way of authenticating the letter. So, why why is he doing this at the end? And does that mean that the that the apostle Paul didn't write? The rest of Galatians. No, the Apostle Paul was the author of the entire letter. However, he most likely had someone write the letter or the words down for him. This was a common practice in that time. And this just shows you how how serious the Apostle Paul was taking these letters that he knew they were going to be important instead of just jotting it down himself he he brings someone else on to write it down so that it can be preserved so it can be clear and so the apostle paul gets someone else to write it down and that's called an amanuensis they 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 were known in that time in the greco-roman world if you needed to put down an official document you would dictate what they would write and they would they would put it down And, and most likely the apostle paul has had an amanuensis who wrote All of the the letter of Galatians until you get to the end. And the Apostle Paul says, before we send the letter, hand me the pen. And he writes these last words that we just read in his own writing. We see similar things like this in his other letters. In Romans chapter 16, verse 22, as Paul closes out his letter to, to the church at Rome, we hear this, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Which can be confusing at first to hear that at the end when the Apostle Paul addresses us at the beginning of the letter. And most likely what's happening is, Tertius was the amanuensis and he knew people in Rome. And so as he's closing out the letter, he says, oh yeah, by the way, I I want to greet those in Rome. So this, this was a common practice, not only in that time, but with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, another one of Paul's letters, he wrote two to the church at Thessalon- uh, Thessalonica. He ends that letter, that second letter, this way. Listen to the similarities between this closing and our text this morning. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. And then he closes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So Paul obviously felt that it was important to end the letter to the Galatians the way he did by adding this personal touch. And then after saying what he does in verse 11, we skip down to verse 18, and Paul then closes out the letter similar to what he just did in 2 Thessalonians with with these words of grace. He he ends the letter the same way he began the letter. Listen to how the letter began. Ver, chapter 1, verse 3 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He began with grace and now he ends with these words: chapter 6, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, amen. You see, what Paul's doing here in these final verses is he's expressing his wish, his desire for all these brothers and sisters in Christ to experience the grace of God inwardly, not just theologically. Did you notice how he ends? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He, he wants those whom he's writing to experience the grace of God. Not just to know about it. Not just to understand it doctrinally and theologically. Though he's had to unpack all the implications of the grace of God throughout this letter. He doesn't just want them to walk away with head knowledge. To say, oh yeah... Give, give me a doctrinal test now. We could all pass it. He wants them to walk away and be amazed by the grace of God like they were when they first heard him preach the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and repented of their sin and were converted and made new. He wants them to experience that kind of grace. And that is his hope for them. And life gave my Prayer and desire for us as we close out this letter is no different. That as we leave Galatians, not only will we have a better understanding doctrinally and theologically of the grace of God, but that we too would leave just amazed by the grace of God. That we would leave just impacted by all that God has done for us in Christ. That would be the legacy of this book, that the closing words of this letter would linger with us. And what would linger would be this tone of grace and this message of grace. Now, in order for this to happen for those in Galatia, for them to experience this grace, they had to choose which gospel they were going to believe in. Which brings us now to verses 12 through 13. This, now we see the ongoing controversy in Galatia. Before reading those passages again, can we go back to the beginning? Because there are so many similarities between how Paul began and how he ended. Look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Just review what was going on in Galatia that, that Paul needed to write this letter. Because he's coming back to it in the end. And in those words, and in those verses, he says... I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says at the end of this letter in verses 12 through 13, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, Who would force you to be circumcised only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Obviously. Paul felt it necessary to close this letter by drawing attention to this group, what we're going to call them the agitators, those who've shown up and they've stirred things up in the church in Galatia. And and Paul wants to draw attention to those who are proclaiming this false gospel. They're saying, no, it's the truth the the true gospel it paul only preached a half gospel he just said all you need to do to be saved is put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross on your behalf but we're telling you that's great that's good that's necessary and you got to do these things too you got to keep the mosaic law including circumcision and circumcision you got to keep the the dietary laws you've got to do all of those things or you can't be justified before god that was what was happening in galatia and paul saying that that's false that's a false gospel and he's addressing it here in verses 12 through 13 yet again as he closes out this letter but what he's doing in these two verses is different than what he's done so far as he closes out he doesn't address all the theological nuances of this controversy what he does is he exposes the true cause of this controversy in Galatia he puts his finger on the true cause and it's the motive of these agitators. He's talked about what they've said. Why they're wrong. Why the scriptures disagree with everything that they're saying. But what he hasn't done yet. Is pulled back the curtain. And said here's why these guys are doing what they're doing. And saying what they're saying. Let, let me expose their true motives. And that's what we see at work here. In verse 12. Look, look, look at verse 12 again. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Who would force you. To be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Think about what Paul just said. Can can you see the true motives of those who are demanding certain religious practices like circumcision be observed if someone wanted to be right with God? Why, Why does Paul say they did this? Why are they preaching this kind of message? They did so. Listen to what he says. They did so to boast in their flesh. They did so in order to look impressive in regards to their observance of the law and their obedience to God's command. They should remind us of another group of people we encounter in the gospel, the Pharisees, who are all about outward expressions and want to be impressive. They they want to pray in ways that people say, they give in ways that everybody goes, oh, the Pharisees, they give so often, they give so much. And everything is about this outward expression for everyone else to see. And Paul puts his finger on the problem as he closes out this letter and said, let's be aware of the true motive of these men. And it's interesting the way that Paul, what he says about them, they show, they show, he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. It's, it's probably tongue-in-cheek that Paul uses that term. They want to show a good showing in the flesh. Because if you remember so far, all throughout this book, especially in chapter 5, the word flesh is never used positively. So Paul's speaking in a tongue-in-cheek Manner, Because if you remember, in the letter of Galatians, the flesh is, is spoken of is as corrupt, enslaved, and opposed to the things of God. So he's saying, oh yeah, they, they like to boast in the flesh. What they don't realize is their boasting actually shows who they really are. And then Paul states one more thing that these agitators, they force people to do what God has never commanded them to do, and in this case, to observe the old covenant sign of circumcision. And why do they do so? To avoid persecution. How, How would promoting circumcision keep them from being persecuted? One commentator said the following, Most likely, anyone proclaiming the Messiah without insisting that converts be circumcised and follow the Mosaic law, would be criticized and perhaps physically punished by the Jews. See, their motive for for promoting things like circumcision wasn't true and pure because they really believed it. They knew if we say these things, if we preach these things, then then we're not going to suffer. We're not going to be persecuted. We're saying what's popular. We're saying what everybody likes to hear, and therefore we're safe. The Apostle Paul says, "Let's, let's, let's pull the curtain back on all these shenanigans that are going on in Galatia. These guys sound impressive. They they quote from the scriptures. They even look impressive. They want you to be impressed. But let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's see what's really going on here. Not only do these guys want you to be impressed with them. They they go so far that they will not talk about the cross. And they preach circumcision so that they don't have to experience any difficulty. Then listen what else he says in verse 13. He's not done. In verse 13, he says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Did you catch that? Those who had promoted circumcision and law keeping, why did they do this? They did it knowing full well that they themselves had not kept the law. These aren't people who really are as concerned about the law of God as they appear. They want you to think, oh, these people are so holy. They're so righteous. They're so zealous for the things of God. Like the Pharisees, they want you to think that. But they know themselves. They could care less. Then why do they do it? Why do they promote these things? What would be their motive for doing this? Well, the Apostle Paul puts his finger on it again. He said that their motive is nothing less than selfish. It's a selfish motive. Paul says, here's why. Not only do they want you to be impressed with them, they want to boast in you. See every person they persuade to to follow their way to adopt their practices it's it 's like a badge on their arm see they 're really not in it for your good they 're really not zealous for the glory of god and and, and law keeping so let's let 's just not let 's cut through the smoke and look at the real thing. These guys really aren't concerned with law-keeping. All they're concerned about is that you would be impressed by them and that you would be one of their trophies. They're not motivated by love. These that are that peddling this false gospel, Paul says, they're not doing it out of love for God and they're not doing it out of love for you. And that brings us now to verses 14 through 17, the cross and the message of the gospel. And here in verses 14 through 17, a shift takes place. Beginning here in verse 14, Paul will now move away from talking about these agitators and their true motives. And now he's going to begin to talk about and boldly proclaim what he and every follower of Christ should boast in. He says, okay, here's what these guys boast in. Here's their true motives. Now, let's put them aside. Let's talk about what we should really boast in. I'm going to boast for a minute. They had their moment. They've had their day. It's my time. I'm going to boast for a minute. And I want to tell you what you should boast in if you really love the Lord. See, opposite of the agitators who are promoting law keeping instead of grace, Paul makes it abundantly clear that w- what we should boast in, what we should always boast in if we belong to Christ. Listen to what he says, verse 14, the beginning. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, here's why these guys boast. But listen, if I'm going to boast, there's only one thing I'm going to boast in. And that's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the difference between Paul and his opponents can be easily observed by just listening to what they boast in. If some of those in Galatia are still confused, you know, they open up the Bible they sound so smart. They look so devout. Paul, he writes us this letter and he says things and we're convinced by him. And he, he I mean, who do we believe? Paul says, Here, here's what you should do. What do they boast in? What do I boast in? Listen to that. It'll be clear. Here's what they boast in. They boast in themselves. And they boast in you as their converts. They boast in what they've done and in what you do. Here's what I boast in and here's what you should boast in. We don't boast in what we've done or you've done. We boast in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's our boast. That's our boast. It's not about us. It's not about what we have failed to do or what we have done. That's what they want to boast in. But that's not our boast. Our boast is in Christ and the cross. And he goes on to say in this verse exactly what he means by saying that we should boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? What happened when Jesus died on the cross? Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Think about maybe this most well-known verse in all of Galatians, Galatians 2.20. Remember in Galatians 2.20, Paul says that he's been crucified with Christ. He no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. What does that mean? He was crucified with Christ. He literally wasn't crucified with Christ. Paul w- wasn't crucified as far as we know from church history. Paul wasn't Crucified. What does he mean? He was crucified with Christ. And what Paul says about himself is true for every believer. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, verse 14 tells us we've been crucified to the world. We've been crucified to the world. To understand that statement, I think we go back to the beginning of the letter. Remember, there's so many similarities between the greeting and the conclusion. And listen to what the Apostle Paul said in chapter 1, verse 4. He gave himself, speaking of Jesus, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So Paul says, here's why Jesus died. He died to deliver us from the present evil age. That's at the beginning of the letter. He closes the letter and says, We've been crucified to the world and the world to us. I believe it makes good sense to see these two phrases, the present evil age and the world, as being synonymous. It's not two separate things. He's he's talking about it in two different ways. There's the world and there's the present evil age. So what does Paul mean by that? What does he mean by saying we've been crucified to the world? It's another way of saying we've been delivered from the rule and reign of the flesh. We've been set free from, from slavery to sin and the bondage to self. That's what it means to be delivered from the world. That's what it means to be delivered from this present evil age. We have been delivered from the rule and reign of the flesh. We've been set free from slavery to sin and bondage to self. You see, this world, the present evil age, and the flesh, as Paul calls it throughout this letter, are marked by these things. They're marked by selfishness, self-righteousness, And pride towards God and others. That's what marks the world. That's what marks the flesh. That's what marks this present evil age. It's selfishness, self-righteousness, and pride towards God and others. But for those who are in Christ, listen, those who are in Christ have been set free from the flesh and the world and this present evil age. We've been given the spirit of God. Which means we don't have to give in to the desires of the flesh. It doesn't mean we never do. It doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean that we walk around every day without sin. But we are not under the bondage of this world. We don't have to give in to the flesh. We don't have to do those things. Instead, we can pursue godliness. We can enjoy grace instead of the law. And we can love others well. That's why Christ died. Christ died. That's what this new creation which Paul speaks of in verse 15 is all about. He said, we've experienced a new creation. What is that new creation? We've been set free from the slavery of self. From self-righteousness and pride. And we've been free to now love God, enjoy grace, love others. So look at verse 15. Paul continues on to unpack this thought. He says, for neither Circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul says, here's what matters at the end of the day. Actually, here's what matters on the final day. Paul says, really, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God one day and say, I've been circumcised. (laughs) I haven't been. I kept all the, the laws of God, or I tried to. Not perfectly, but I tried. He said, Those things aren't going to matter in the end. It's not going to be whether you have or you haven't. It's not about whether you've been circumcised or you chose not to. See, I love it that Paul adds this second group. See, neither group should boast in what they've done. You can imagine in Galatia. That is, this controversy is going on. And there are people who are starting to listen to these false teachers preach this false gospel. There are some who are saying, yeah, I don't think we have to do that. And you know what their pride probably is? It's not, we've been circumcised. Oh, we haven't fallen for that. We haven't been circumcised. We don't have to. We're free in Jesus. And their pride is that they haven't done what these other people have done. And Paul says, hey, at the end of the day, none of it matters. It matters. None of it matters whether you have or you haven't. Instead, here's what we should boast in, not in what we have done or haven't done, but once again, in what God has done for us. That's our boast. That is our boast. Go back later on. And look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. For time's sake, I'm not going to read it. But if you remember how we began this letter, if you look at the opening words of this letter, they are dripping with God-centeredness. The gospel is about God. The gospel is about all that God has done. It's about the Father willing it, the Son accomplishing it. God sending out men like the Apostle Paul to show up in people's towns and say, you can be forgiven, you can be free. Why did all that happen? God did it. That's the gospel. And we must not, as we move on from Galatians, forget that. We must not forget. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't about some of the things God does and the rest is about what we do. The gospel at the end of the day is all about what God has done for us in Christ. And friends, if we've experienced, if you've experienced this inward transformation in which God is brought about, It's an inward transformation, not an outward transformation. It's not just you trying to display devotion to God. If you've experienced this inward transformation that only God can bring about, you've experienced the new creation. You and I have experienced the new creation. And that ought to be our boast. Look at verse 16. Paul continues on. He says, As for all who walk by this rule." Rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What Paul's doing here in verse 16 is he is pronouncing a blessing over the family of God, over the children of God, over the children of promise, over the children of Abraham. That's what the word Israel of God here means. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, male, female, whether you're circumcised, uncircumcised, whether you keep the law regularly or you don't. Here's the thing. If you're in Christ, you are in the family of God. And Paul then says there is peace for you and there is mercy to you if you respond to this one thing. Did you notice that? there's, There's peace and mercy for us to receive. If we keep this rule. and By rule he doesn't mean. Like to obey something. In, in, in a law keeping way. He's saying if you keep this one thing in mind. What is that? If you only boast in the cross. It's almost as if Paul's saying. Hey listen. I've said a lot in my letter. Remember this one thing. If you remember this. You will experience mercy. And peace in full. Paul what is that one thing? Boast only in the cross. I love what C.J. Mahaney, a fellow Sovereign Grace pastor, author, and actually the founder of our movement, he said many years ago, and I think it just captures the heart of this passage. He said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what Paul means here. He's saying, hey, at the end of the day, as we close out, here's what you need to remember. You want to experience peace and mercy. You want to experience the blessing and the promises that that are given to the people of God. Here's what you need to do. Look to Christ and Him crucified. Rejoice in that. Put your hope in that. Put all your stock in that. And you will experience it all in full. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. and Then... Before closing out with verse 18. Paul makes this one last statement. In verse 17. From now on. Let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body. The marks. Of Jesus. Unlike those in Galatia. Who promoted circumcision. So that they could avoid persecution. Persecution. Paul was willing to suffer for his beliefs. He was willing to suffer for the sake of those he ministered to. And ultimately, he was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. But his opponents were not willing to suffer. They weren't willing to suffer for their faith. And so therefore, what did they put their confidence? They put their confidence in outward marks of circumcision. And Paul says, let, let me just get to it at the end of the time. Here's what these guys, if you remember what he said about them earlier, here's what these guys put their confidence. They put their confidence in an outward bodily mark of circumcision. They can have that. Here's my outward mark. I bear the marks of Jesus. I think if Paul was with them, he would have pulled part of his robe down and see, you see these scars. They can take circumcision. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. And I've done it all for Christ and for you. They want to boast in this outward mark? Go ahead. Here's my mark. I bear on my body the marks of suffering. Now what do we do with this passage as we close out this letter? Last week, I I posed a question. I said, as we're closing out this letter so that we don't just move on and not think about how are we we to continue to apply this, I ask us to consider the following. In what ways are we to think differently and live differently in light of what God has revealed to us through the letter of Galatians? And we spent time reflecting on that from a personal point of view. And I encourage us to continue to do this weeks from now. As you look back over the study of Galatians, think about what is God calling you personally to do in light of all that we've all that we've seen and all that we've heard in this letter. Today I want us to consider that question, but not from a personal point of view, from a corporate point of view. To restate the question to better fit our church context, let me ask this question. In what ways should the letter of Galatians either reshape or reaffirm our mission as a church? See, we don't want to just come to this letter and apply it individually. I was recently having a conversation, I think it was with my wife, of how interesting it is and what a sign of our American culture that very few to no books of the New Testament were written to a person. They're written to corporate people. And how often do we only apply them individually? See, we're a part of a body. We're a part of a family. And these letters were written to a family for them to apply. So how, how can then we look at this letter and say, what does this not just mean for me and you individually? What does it mean for us as a church? How should this letter either reshape Or reaffirm our mission as a church. I just want to suggest two ways as we close. Here's the first one. The gospel must motivate our mission. The gospel must motivate our mission. As we reflect on the impact that the negative motives of these agitators. their, Their motives had on those in Galatia. We would be wise to consider our own motives. See, the problem in Galatia wasn't just what they were teaching and what they were promoting. It, it was why they were doing it. Their motives were not right. And I think it would be good for us to reflect on our own motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? You see, in, in, in this context, in the letter of Galatia, Galatians, to preach salvation through Christ alone... On the basis of his work on the cross alone. Without demanding people to be circumcised. That caused people like the Apostle Paul much criticism and even persecution. Paul refused to cave to the pressure. And he paid the price for it. He refused to cave to the pressure and he paid the price for it. Those who were preaching a gospel of works they avoided persecution at all costs. And you know what that did? Because they avoided persecution at all costs, it affected their mission and their message. See, their mission and their message was being motivated by something. We want to be popular. We want to be liked. We want everybody to say, have you heard about the church at Galatia? See, what happened in Galatia is still a temptation for churches and individual Christians today. We can experience pressure from those outside of the church and with those inside the church to conform to certain standards and expectations. We can be told, if you're not doing X, you're not being a faithful church. And those may be important things to do. And maybe it's the world telling us that. Maybe it's other evangelical Christians. As a pastor, I regularly run across stuff that's obviously, honestly, it's just discouraging. If you're not preaching on this, you're not doing this, you're not being a faithful church. And it's just like, really? We can hear so many of these these expectations and these pressures, and we can be tempted, tempted to give in. And it can be subtle because we can think we're loving our neighbor. We can think we're loving our neighbor by listening to these things. But it's actually a temptation. And here's how the temptation occurs. When our mission is driven by what others think we ought to be doing and saying. Listen, when that happens, even if the things we're seeking to do may be good suggestions or good things, We have the wrong motivation for mission. So what should we do? Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. The apostle said. The apostle Paul says. For now. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man. I would not be a servant of Christ. Our sole motivation for mission as a church must be to please the Lord. There must be, there are many things we may be called to do, we may need to do. Maybe we're not doing and we need to do more. But our reason for doing those things must not be because we've gotten a survey or taken the pulse of the culture or heard what other churches were doing and we didn't want to be left out or other people are criticizing. and say, well, they don't do that at Life. Here's why we want to do what we're doing. Are we pleasing the Lord? Is this what He's calling us to do? There may be a lot of other competing voices telling us what our message should be, what our ministry should be, but what does the Lord say? What has He called us to do? Well, that brings us to the second and final thing we can do. We must keep the message of the gospel central to our mission. That's what we're called to do. That is what we must do. See, one of the main takeaways for us as a church as we close out this letter to Galatians, is not only must we get the message of the gospel right, we must keep it central. Both of those are are a temptation that every church has to fight again. We must get the gospel right, and we must keep it central. Nothing else must be more important than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Not social ministries, Not any other thing that may be important. Here's what matters at the end of the day. Christ and Him crucified. So how do we do that? I think we do it by looking back at Galatians alone and seeing some of the things that Paul did and here is what he did. And if we continue to do these things and we continue to grow in these things, we will fulfill our mission and please the Lord. Here's the first thing we must do if we're going to keep the message of the gospel central to our mission, we must proclaim the gospel. In chapter 1, verses 11 and in 16, Paul says he proclaimed the gospel to Gentiles. And in the context there, it's evangelistic. Listen, one of our greatest missions as a church is to be evangelistic. We must share the gospel with those around us. The church has been entrusted with proclaiming the message of the gospel that liberates people from the bondage of sin and death. No one else out there is doing that. There are other people helping the homeless. Not to say we shouldn't. There are other people doing a lot of other good things that the church may be involved in. Hey, guess what? If the church fails to tell people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners, no one else is going to take that up. That is our job. We must do it. We must do it faithfully. And church, this is an area we we need to grow in. We need to be more evangelistic as a church. I need to be more evangelistic and sharing the gospel with those around us. Here's another thing we must do. We see right here from from the letter of Galatians. In chapter 2, after Paul talks about how he proclaimed the gospel to them evangelistically, he preserved the gospel. When the gospel was at stake, he preserved it. You know what that meant? Not only did he go there and preach the gospel so that they could hear it and be saved, but when anything was beginning to get in the way, he writes them this letter, a doctrinal letter. See, a healthy church needs evangelism and doctrine. And unfortunately, churches either that are really strong at evangelism stink at doctrine And churches that are really doctrinal usually don't do well at evangelism. And that should never be. May that not be here. May we be a people who preach the gospel, love our neighbors, see people getting saved, which we need to work at, But what good is it if they get here that message and then they're bombarded by all the other world and by all the other stuff on TV and on the radio telling them, no, that's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. You're supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're supposed to be all of these things. And they don't have anybody to say, no, that's not the true gospel. Here's what it means to live in the good of it. So we must proclaim it. We must preserve it. And lastly, I take this from chapter 2, verse 14. And Paul's interaction with what happened with Peter when he had to publicly confront him. He said, Peter and those men like Barnabas who were with him. They did something wrong that had to be publicly rebuked. And it wasn't what they said or what they believed. It's that they did not live in light of the gospel. Their actions in that situation... If you remember back to chapter 2. Though they were not promoting justification by any other way. but, But through Christ. Their actions in that moment. Betrayed what they believe. So we must proclaim. We must preserve the gospel. And we must apply it. It will do us no good. If we tell lost people about the hope of salvation. If we teach doctrine. And learn the depths of the gospel. But it doesn't affect our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, the way we handle our money, the way we see our career, our identity, all of those things. So if we want to be a faithful church, listen. we want to be a church that's aiming to please the Lord, we must proclaim the gospel to the lost. We must grow in our understanding of the gospel doctrinally. And lastly, we must apply it and see how the Lord uses those efforts to build his church. So friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this sacred letter. Thank you for our time in it over these months that we have opened it up and listened and looked with our eyes. Father, would you now help us to not only be individuals, but a church that applies all that we've heard and that we do so to please you alone. And as we seek to please you, Lord, would you build your church. May many people come to saving faith through our witness. And may many and all who are here grow in their understanding of the gospel. And may it affect every aspect of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.